I'm Ian Dallimore, and this is Digital and Dirt. Separating myth from truth through data. Do you make it very clear and simple? Generations are not a box that each of us fit neatly inside. All right, welcome, guys. My next guest, this is a very special one. I actually got to meet him in person. I begged him backstage that I wanted him on the podcast, and we have him here today. He is actually the Inc. 5,000 list three times. He's the Austin Fast five-time winner twice and won the Austin Under 40 Entrepreneur of the Year Award for Education at age 25. You're just not being fair right now. Over 1,000 standing ovations for keynotes. I was actually one of them from Singapore to Paris to New York City and actually in New Orleans. He met his wife at a Willie Nelson concert. We'll see if we can dig a little bit deeper there. He's a millennial married to a Gen Xer, and they both have a Gen Z daughter named Raya, named after his great-grandmother, which I believe actually turned out not to be the case. My new buddy, Jason Dorsey, generational and behavioral researcher at the Center for Generational Kinetics. Woohoo! Thank you. I have never in my life had an introduction like that. So uh, thank you. Glad we got that on the recording. <laughs> I love it. So as I mentioned, we met each other. Uh, you actually spoke at Lamar's 120-year anniversary conference. It was very exciting because you are a generational and behavioral researcher. And when you came on stage instantly, and again, I can't stress this enough, definitely YouTube this guy. Instantly, we were all at the edge of our seats and we were participating. It's exciting. So maybe take a quick second, explain, explain to our guests what the generational kinetics and what you do besides traveling the globe, speaking to thousands of people. Yeah, well, thank you again for those kind words. I really appreciate it. I'm glad people were engaged quickly. I know I sure had a great time speaking for y'all. You know, what we do at our research center, as you said, it's called the Center for Generational Kinetics, is we're really on a mission to separate myth from truth. Because so much of what is said, in particular about generations, it's just not true. I'll give you some examples. People say things like, oh, millennials, you know, they're not working. And it turns out we're actually the largest generation in the workforce. <laughs> the group everybody says isn't working. There's actually more millennial managers than anybody else. Or they say things like, oh, Gen X really isn't that important. They're a short generation. And Gen X is actually the glue in the workforce. And right now, based on our research, over 100 studies so far, that Gen X is the most important generation to retain. Or we'll help people say like, oh, Jason, Gen Z, these young kids these days, you know, they're spending all their money. Turns out that based on every study we've done, which is a lot, uh, Gen Z actually wants to save money because of everything they've been through. Or you hear my favorite, oh, those boomers, you know, they don't know technology. <laughs> like, uh, they invented the technology you're using to make fun of them. <laughs> like, they made it out of thin air. <laughs> you can't connect to the Wi-Fi. So, so uh, what we're trying to do through our work is separate myths from truth through data. And there's two ways we do that. One is we study the trends that shape generations. And for us, those are things like parenting or technology. Geography is a huge one that's not talked about. And also, we study the generations themselves. And so we lead multi-generational studies all around the world. We've led over 100 research studies now. We led more than 20 this year alone for all kinds of brands and companies and groups that people would know, really just trying to not only separate myths from truth, but give actionable insights, what works, build things like trust and influence and better customer experience or drive recruiting or retention. And it's a ton of fun because we never know what we're going to find. And that's what good research is all about, is, is surprising ourselves <laughs> and then being able to go out and share that, whether that's through our books or through my speaking and through the advisory work we do with companies. I know that was a super long answer, but I was like, we're going for it. No, I love it. And look, while I was in the audience, I literally went on Amazon 
and I ordered your book immediately. So you're a five-time author, Z Economy, How Gen Z Will Change the Future of Business. And I found it fascinating. So let's, let's dive right in. You know, you and I are millennials. We have uh, Gen Z kids. I have four. You have uh, one. Lucky you. And you told this story. <laughs> and and if, if you don't mind telling the story again about how when you conversate uh, with Raya while you're, you're traveling, let's just play this game. If you were to pick up the phone right now and call Raya and it were just to be a regular phone call, how would that go? Well, first of all, she's at school right now in sixth grade, so she better not answer. However, there's probably a pretty good chance that she will text me back and be like, what's up? <laughs> uh, yeah, so the story that I share, which is very true and happens all the time, is, is we're trying to show how different generations have a different natural relationship with technology, and we don't see it. We're blind to it because it's just how we operate in the world. And so in the story, what I share is that uh, when I call Raya, if I call her from my iPhone that I use, and I call her uh, just as if I'm trying to talk with her. She won't answer. She'll look at the phone. She'll hit ignore or she'll just put it down and walk away. Because to her, phones were not made for talking. They're made for video. So if I immediately hit FaceTime and call her back, she'll answer every time. <laughs> Unless she's in school, hopefully. And she'll answer immediately. And then we'll start having a conversation. Because what's fascinating is in her mind, phones are made for video. And that's how they're best used. And maybe even that's how they're only used. What's also going a little deeper, and we find really fascinating in our behavioral work, is a lot of Gen Zers, and, and many parents talk about this, and, and even uh, teens that, that we interview, they'll talk about how they'll turn their phone on FaceTime. They'll have the phone sitting on their desk or on a chair or on the bed or on some dress or whatever, and the phone is pointing straight up at the ceiling. And the fan's going, right? They're not even in the frame of the video. But they leave it on that way for 10, 20, 30 minutes, an hour or longer, because that's just how they would naturally communicate with each other. So it's really neat that you take something that we all think about as supposed to be used in a certain way, which is to talk, and they look at it in a fundamentally different way than we do, which is video. And in fact, if we try to uh, cause them to use them the way we do, we can turn them off. Or like, call us back. Well, no, it's not that they don't want to call you back. It's that you're asking them to do something that is not a conditioned behavior, which is so funny because like we joke with people all the time, you call them five times, no answer. You send a text, Boom. <laughs> look, and my, my dad's obviously a boomer and he will leave like the longest voicemail. And I'm like, I, I literally, the only time I check my voicemail, Jason, is whenever it's, it's overloaded and it's full. And then I'll get a message from my dad when he finally texts me. He's like, Hey, your voicemail is full. So jumping, <laughs> jumping right into that, because I, I think you make a, what, I appreciate you have a voicemail, by the way, a lot of people don't even set them up anymore. So uh, good on you for bridging generations. By yeah, creating that yeah. option. I'm, try, I'm trying to, I'm trying to help the boomers there. So what I love about your research, and it's, again, typically people think about research and they think about, oh God, this is just going to be a plethora of data and it's just going to be a snooze fest. One of the things that I loved, and we're going to put this in the blog post, one of the things that I love about your research is you make it very clear and simple about historical events that have happened throughout generations. And one of the things that I loved and I read about was we talk about 9-11 and even people that, are, that work on my team they can't relate to 9-11 because it was more of a historical event as opposed to an actual impact. So maybe touch on that a tad, all of the different generations and the different impacts that that has had and has really evolved those people over time. Yeah, so what I think you're speaking about are what we call generation-defining moments. And it's interesting, when you look at what shapes generations, right? To us, generations are getting a little bit deep for a second. We think about them as predictability by scenario. We're, we're looking at birth cohorts um, divided by or overlaid against geography. Because geography has this huge impact where as we travel around the world, you'll see 
differences based on geography. For example, in the U.S., we'll see differences between rural and urban. But these bigger generation-defining moments, those are things that sort of, the way I like to think about it, they, they stop us in our tracks. They cause us to see the world going forward differently. They're usually fear-driven. Not always, but usually there's something that bad, frankly, that happens, and we don't know what's going to happen next. And that's why it's such a vivid memory. So for me, when 9-11 happened, I was in California. I was with my dad. had this very strong emotional reaction. We got stranded out there. Like There was a whole thing for me uh, that was very different than my dad's experience. Because my dad, to him, he was so worried on 9-11 because he thought that a draft was going to happen because he thought back to the Vietnam War, and he thought I was about to get drafted. It was totally different than my experience because I had no con- no way to put it in context. So to me, that was the formative event. And my grandfather had a different experience and so on. And, and the key here is you have these generation-defining moments that happen. And when they happen, uh, intersects with your life stage. A lot of times people confuse generations with life stage. It's very common. And, you know, frankly, a lot of generational speakers confuse the two things. But the, the way to think about it is uh, generations pass through different life stages, but they stay in the same generation, right? So, you know, millennials are going to keep getting older. <laughs> now, so, so as we think about that, the different types of events, you have 9-11, which was the generation defining moment for millennials. That's our where were you when moment. Now, what's interesting about 9-11 is it can be interpreted differently uh, by millennials in different parts of the world because how they heard about it, what their news outlets were. I mean, it's really fascinating but also you have events like uh, COVID. So COVID is a fascinating event as a researcher because not only is it the generation defining experience of Generation Z, which is the youngest generation. They're now uh, up to age 26 for reference. But they're sort of this young emerging generation. Not only is COVID their generation defining moment or their 9-11 experience, but COVID also is one of the first truly global experiences like this we've had in decades. And what do I mean by that? If you think about events like 9-11, uh, it can mean one thing in the U.S. and another thing in a country somewhere else around the world. Mm-hmm. But COVID, um, because of how it spread, how global it is, how awful it is, and all the things that when were sort of outcomes from that, became very global. I mean, I remember doing a, a TV interview, and it was uh, me here in Austin, Texas, where I live. We had somebody uh, from Europe on the TV talking about their experience of it. Then we had a Gen Zer somewhere um, in Africa, I believe. And then we had another one from somewhere in Asia. And everybody was sharing their experience, right? And they on as the expert to talk about it. What was interesting is that so much of what they shared was similar in terms of fear and unfortunately uh, mortality and upending their uh, rituals and all the things changing with school and work and so on and so forth. So you have this huge global event. So it's much more globally generation shaping than other events. Now, if we go back in time, you can look at a whole bunch of different things here in the States. You can look at the JFK assassination, huge one. But you can also look at a variety of other things uh, that would also point to that, whether it's sort of the Cuban Missile Crisis or if you want to go uh, through various oil embargoes. I mean, we can go through tons of stuff. And the key here is sometimes it's a singular event. It's a day. It's a moment. Sometimes it's a period of time. Part of the reason COVID has had such a huge impact, and we see this in all the studies that we do, particularly around mental health, is it wasn't a day. It wasn't a week. It wasn't a month. It's now been two plus years and continues on in, in various different ways. And so it's really conditioned us as an experience versus just a singular event. So there's tons of these moments we can look at around the world. And they vary, by the way. Like Brexit might be really big in Europe, where somewhere else might be a tsunami that happened or, you know, an avalanche or various other things. So it's really neat when we think about generations and sort of this is a key point I want to make sure we make, that generations are not a box that each of us fit neatly inside. Right? The way we think about them at CGK, and I write about this in the Z comic book, and I talk about the Palmer speeches, 
is that generations are clues and not a box. And that to me is the magic of them. They're clues, but they're powerful predictive clues in our case, grounded in research and data that allow us to faster connect with, build trust and drive influence. And that I think has never, ever been more important than it is right now. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, One of the things that I read, you touched on it, the split of the generation with millennials, right? Because you and I, it's fascinating. We're both employed. And I don't know about you. It doesn't look like you live in your basement, but I don't live in my my parents' basement. It's the first generation ever that is actually split. So maybe touch on that because I don't want to mess up your research. Yeah, sure. So what we've uncovered in our research, historically, if you look at generations, generations vary in length, right? Boomers were a longer generation, Gen X shorter, millennials longer, and so forth. We don't know about Gen Z still to be determined. They're, They're still too young to do some of the studies. But within that, you have a variety of different things that are happening. So, for example, we found that older boomers and younger boomers are very different from one another. People have lumped them together forever. Oh, they're the same generation, but it turns out there's a lot of uh, differences there. But then when you look at millennials, we have the older and younger group, which we're definitely seeing continue uh, to have some, some different personality. But, but deeper than that, and much more interesting to me, is the fact that we're seeing the generation really start to split or you know, break into two different trajectories. And so you have one part of the millennial generation that's sort of doing whatever they're sort of planned to do. Now, that plan may have changed and evolved, but they're sort of pulling themselves forward. We call it real-world traction. And maybe they're employed, maybe they're married, maybe they're not, maybe they have kids, maybe they don't. But they're increasingly self-reliant, and that's really the key, right? That they have what we call real-world traction. Now, they may define success differently. People frequently confuse us. Oh, you got to be, you know, have a great job and marry with kids. No, no, that's not it at all. It's all about feeling like you are influencing where you're going with your life, right? And that you're moving forward, whatever that picture looks like to you. But then you have another part of the generation that's really struggling to pull themselves forward, like really struggling. And they, they feel like they're spinning their wheels and they're not moving forward. And what's interesting is they sort of self-select out. So when we talk to them about how they feel relative to where they thought they want to be or what they want to do, you see this split, this divergence within the generation. We have one point sort of moving forward with their lives and another group that really feels like they're not achieving what they set out to do, that they're not moving forward. And there's all kinds of other things we can go into around it. But this generational split that we've been tracking and really seeking to understand, for some reason around the age of 30, it appears you really sort of better identify with one part or the other. And where this really shows up, which is very fascinating to me, is like on social media. Mm -hmm. So you'll see people go on social media, whatever that is, and they'll see somebody just not be able to relate to somebody from their own high school class. It's like, oh my gosh, like it's, how can they be in such a different place? And so that sort of split is happening. What's interesting is we've always had late bloomers. That's not new. You know, boomers had late bloomers. Gen X, everybody had late bloomers. But what is really different is that late bloomers now are, instead of being like 25 or 26, they might be 35, 36, 38 years old. And that's hugely different. And now we're seeing all kinds of other stuff with millennials that I'm super into, like things like this delayed adulthood concept where they're having kids later and getting married later and buying houses later and all these sorts of things. And other generations misreading that. And what does that mean? And all these areas of our life, because it has a huge impact on business in terms of the benefits they want and where will they relocate to and do they need an SUV and do they want life insurance and like, are they willing to take career risks? All of these things fit together and generations gives us a bunch of clues. And, and to me, the missing link to all of this is good research. And that to me is the biggest issue out there. There's lots of people talking about generations or sort of pontificating about it. But the reality is there's very little research done. And so instead, it's just an echo chamber. And I think that's not helpful. You know, this isn't about memes on social media or funny TikTok videos. This is really seeking to understand, empathize, and connect with people that are different age, different life stage, maybe grew up with different experiences, so that we can all get more of what we're trying to get out of life, out of of work, out of 
our experiences. And, and to me, that's a huge opportunity. Yeah. And that's a big part of a generation, right? Is how does it define itself? And as we kind of uh, shift the, the conversation here, so Gen Z engages with marketing completely different than any other generation. My kids alone, when a TV commercial comes on, they literally lose their shit. Like it is like, Dad, Dad, what what is this? <laughs> Fast forward this. This is this is wasting our time, Dad. So maybe maybe touch on touch on that a bit. You know, we we live in a generation where these kids are and young adults they know nothing other than jumping in an Uber. They know nothing other than Netflix, Hulu. They order their food through Grubhub. They pay their friends literally in real time through Venmo, and that's kind of the normal of their generation. So the impacts that it has on advertising, touch on that a bit, because it, it's no longer the, the generation where you listen to the radio, you wake up and you pull out the newspaper, that paper thing that no one gets anymore, and you watch Dan Rathers on the evening news. Like that, that whole world's blown up. So when we, when we think about Gen Z, the key thing is this. People are looking at, and we, and we all as humans actually do this, we look at them through the lens of our own bias. We look at them through the lens of what's normal to us, what's expected to us, and then we go, wow, they're so different. But the hardest thing to remember is that that's not different to them. You know, my daughter has always known TikTok. She's had her own iPhone since she was nine years old. She was the last in her class to actually get it. Uh, she's always learned how to do math on YouTube. But these are all things that are normal. And I think sometimes we frame it up as, oh, they're so different or they're, they have such higher expectations. And it's, I'm like, no, they just have different, right? So, so when we think about the generation, there's a few just sort of rapid fire things to know. One is that their most trusted outlet um, is mobile devices, which is not, which is obvious. People get that. But what's really interesting is it's their source of truth. And that I think is a harder one. We're like, oh, why do they trust, you know, social media so much, Jason? Don't they know this, that, and the other? I'm like, no, no. It's all they've ever known. If you think they're going to just stay up and watch the evening news, <laughs> like make an appointment to learn, it's not going to happen. And, and so as we think about that, it's just the key is to put ourselves in their shoes. And this is where I think good research comes in. So we think about the generation. One is that is notice that to them, digital is the source of truth. There's no social media. There's just media. And that's just their outlet happens to be their phone. I think that's so incredibly important. Second is they really do not like to be talked down to. Right? That they, they don't like that. They have these huge filters around being talked down to or just overt advertising because they've grown up with it. And so as a result, they're the best at ad blockers or the best at fast forwarding, as you talked about with your kids. Like all of those things are normal to them. So we've really got to make sure that whatever we deliver to them is actually relevant for them and has, has meaning, is entertaining, speaks to them as all the sorts of pieces. Really, really, really important. And the third is we find that out of home in particular has a huge opportunity with Gen Z, huge. And, and it's just whether or not people are connecting the dots for whatever that is, whether it's awareness, actually taking action. It's one of the few places where you can get in front of Gen Z in so many different locations, whether you're talking about you know, on the road, by the way, they're not the ones driving. They're in the passenger seat. They can actually read that. <laughs> or on the subway or digital or you name it. So we think that Gen Z is perfectly situated to best engage with um, out-of-home advertising. But the, the marketers behind it, that's where we have to sort of rethink how we approach this so that it fits Gen Z. Because this idea that, oh, well, they're just like millennials is not true. They're not this more extreme example of, of millennials, right? They're, they're a completely different generation. And if we adapt to them, which is different than coddling or catering, nobody's saying that, just adapting in the ways that we know work based on research, the results are absolutely incredible. And I get so excited about because we get to see them all the time. I mean, the, the results of our clients, whether they're in automotive, whether they're in real estate, or whether they're in tech, like you see these results. In fact, I just got a screenshot here a few minutes ago for one of our clients. Massive, massive sales uh, on Cyber Monday with these younger generations. 
it's a huge opportunity. So we are very excited about Gen Z, the intersection, the advertising. And I think the real trick is um, recognizing that what worked even two or three years ago may not work now. And that's not an indictment of anything that just says, hey, people are different times of change. We have new expectations. And if we are the ones that wisely adapt, we get to unlock that incredible potential. Yeah. And it's, look, I could, I could talk to you for hours and I know you're a very busy man. So those last words of what you said is, is very powerful is you're not coddling. And I think that's the exciting thing about the world that we live in the advertising world is, Hey, how do we, how do we evolve? But most importantly, how do we talk to the different generations throughout their journey at different points of the day? And I can't stress enough to our listeners um, reach out. Uh, we'll again, drop this on the blog post, uh, Jason Dorsey's uh, company's website. It's a great resource. And I think the advertising industry can really get behind this type of research. That's fun. It's very pointed. It's very diverse. You and your team do, do a fascinating job of this research. And I'm honored to know you and honored to have sat into the, the crowd with you and more importantly, have you as a guest here today. So thank you so much for your time, my friend. Hey, thank you so much. And, and to everybody listening, thank you for being a part of this conversation. It means the world to me. And uh, if you do want to download our research, it's free. You can download our State of Gen Z studies, absolutely no cost, right on the website. You can download chapters of the book for free. Like we just want to help people get good, actionable insights that are grounded in research. So thanks again for the time today. This has been awesome. Look forward to the next one. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll see you soon at another conference. So thanks for having Digital and Dirt is brought to you by Lamar Advertising. To learn more, check out the links in the description or go to lamar.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Spotify, Apple, or other platforms where podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.